to finish, you have two guys sitting there watching heterosexual porn with a director just sitting there waiting, and you're in a room masturbating for 30, 45 minutes, an hour until you can finish, and you're just sitting there like a fool with a, a room full of people just waiting on you to finish. And then when you get close, you tell the director, and they grab the camera, and they capture it. And then it, the, the end product looks like you have this thing where it was two people that were attracted to one another. Well, hey, everybody. Alan Parr here once again. And, man, I am telling you, I cannot explain how excited I am today for this interview conversation, whatever you want to call it with my my new friend, Joshua Broom. And it's crazy because I was just telling him that I have been wanting to talk to somebody who at some point in their life was on the inside of the adult entertainment or the porn industry. And he emailed me a little while back and said, hey, I've got this testimony of what God has done. I used to be a, um, a porn star. He's now no longer in that industry and God has revolutionized his life and changed his life. I'm not going to steal any of his thunder. He's got an amazing testimony, you guys. And hey, listen, you all are going to hear some things today that are truly going to encourage you. And let me just also go off and say this, that look, this conversation is going to be graphic. We're going to be talking about some, some pretty graphic things as it relates to the inner workings of the uh, adult entertainment industry. And so this may or may not be appropriate for, for kids, for teens, because we're not trying to make you more curious about it, but we do want to educate you on it. Uh, because I want to, I want Joshua to really be open and honest, uh, and to be able to speak freely about the truth and the deception that the devil is trying to pull over our eyes to get more people sucked into this industry. And also, if you're watching this on the replay, I've got a ton of questions that I want to ask Joshua today. So I'm going to put uh, timestamps in the description. Hopefully, I pray you will watch this entire video. But if you're just one of those people who like to pick, 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 then yes, I've got some timestamps below and you can go to the questions that most interest you. So Joshua, thank you so much for being here, brother. God bless you, man. Thank you for being a part of this. Absolutely. I'm more than honored to be here, and every time I get to share my story, um, even though I've done it several times, uh, like you were saying, I try to be as open and honest and authentic as I can, and I think that each time there's something in some way that um, that God reveals to me and I communicate um, to the people hearing. So even though I've shared it a lot, um, I think that every conversation is a brand new way of, hey, uh, this is what I did this is what God did, and this is what God continues to do. Amen. I love that. I love that. Well, listen, um, I'm going to jump straight on in, man, because you know I'm not going to waste a lot of time with a whole bunch of leading questions and this and that and the other in terms of your, your upbringing, your family. I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit. But I'm here to be uh, – I want to use this word loosely because I don't want anybody to think I'm new age. But I'm going to be like kind of the Oprah here. I'm going to ask the questions – that my listeners are really, really interested in. So I'm going to just start off and I'm going to say, hey, man, like how in the world did you even get into this industry? I mean, how did you, how, I mean, 
you know, most people don't have the ability to even get into this. So how, how did you get into the porn industry? Yeah, I mean, I think what you touched on is really important because specifically for guys, it's it's not an easy industry to get into. So for me, I grew up in a small town in South Carolina. I was studying theater at a college in South Carolina, and I dropped out my second semester of my sophomore year, and I moved to Hollywood. So I'd been pursuing modeling and acting, and that's why I moved to Hollywood. I wanted to be in closer proximity to that industry, and I was doing okay. And like a lot of people in Hollywood, I had to work a job in addition to the things that I was pursuing to put food on the table. And I was working at a restaurant, and this restaurant was in the middle of West Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard. And there's these four girls that are sitting in this table, and I'm waiting on them. And um, they ask, hey, uh, have you actually ever thought about being an actor? And I was like, yes, I I definitely have. I, I am an actor, actually. And because for me, um, coming from a small town, it's all about who you know. And I thought, okay, this is going to be my opportunity to get introduced to a project, or maybe they knew a director that needed someone. And I'm like, great, this is going to be awesome. And they said, no, we're talking about porn. And I was like, well, I'd seen it, but I'd never thought about doing it. And I, I like to compare it almost to like my you know, we recently went to Disney World, and my my son saw um, Mickey Mouse. But he generally just watches cartoons, and he saw Mickey Mouse, you know, a, a a person in a Mickey Mouse costume waving to him, and it was overwhelming because he couldn't believe it was real. And that's how I felt in that moment. It's like these, like these are real people, and this is a real career that they want me to pursue. Like this is crazy. But long story short, they said, "Hey, I want to introduce you to my agent." And I go there, and I meet this agent, and he asked me uh, three or four questions, and just being the master manipulator he was, he used those questions to paint a picture of a counterfeit version of the dream that I was pursuing, and I took the bait. Mm, mm. So yeah, so you weren't really intending, you weren't, you weren't just like, oh, I want to be a porn star one day, like, man, this is my dream. This is just something you kind of fell into, and the agent basically was trying to speak to your inner desires and your needs and maybe even some insecurities or maybe even just some voids in your life that you were trying to fill, and because it all sounded good, and I'm sure the money is good, we're going to get to that in just a moment, um, you basically kind of hook, line, and sinker kind of went into it. Yeah, I mean, it was something that I heard him offer me this opportunity and I knew in my gut, like, this is not how my mom raised me. This is wrong. And this is going to be in contrast to what I'm pursuing because I, I, I knew at, you know, at a gut level, this is going to create some issues for me in the future. But for me, it's like, I did not count the cost. I just said, okay, you know, I, I told him I wanted to be an actor. Um, I do, I'm doing a lot of modeling, more acting than model. I'm more modeling than acting. Um, this is what I want to do. How did you grow up? I grew up, you know, with my mom, you know, she raised me, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Oh, um, you can be famous. You can make all this money. And actually the porn industry, it's shifting gears and there's these large productions and they're parroting movies. And with you having acting experience and being a good looking guy, man, you could have all the lead roles. You can be famous. You can, you know. For me, someone who was searching for affirmation, 
affirmation, affirmation, affirmation. And what I heard was uh, a, a bootleg version of a dream that I had. But because of my insecurities, I said, okay, maybe I'm not good enough to you know, ob- obtain the thing that I really want. Maybe this will be as close as I can get. So maybe let's let's just go this direction and see what happens. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So tell me, tell me a little bit about your first experience, your first film. Like, what was that like? What was the set like? You know, because a lot of times people see what they see on the screen, and they don't realize how staged and produced and different things that are going on. So. Talk a little bit about like what what was that first experience for you and what are the things that that you know about the actual filming of everything that most people who are viewing it really don't see or know about? I get there. There's a receptionist. There's catering. There's camera A, camera B, camera C, and someone shooting BTS rolling around with a 5D just like – um, there's probably 30 people on set, and there's this, you know, there's this stadium lighting of Kino flows like around this daybed, and there's this production assistant that comes up to me and he's like, "Hey, um, here's here's this blue pill. Um, I don't know if you need it, but I just give it to everyone. Take it if you want to take it. Don't if you don't. We need you in you know 15, 20 minutes." And I never had a conversation with this girl. So the first lie that most people believe is that there's two people who are interested in each other, that there's a camera that just happens to be there. The reality is there's two people that generally don't even have any conversation, sometimes no eye contact, that are doing a job they are paid to do. So there's little to no chemistry and absolutely no intimacy. So – you know, I, I go to the bathroom and I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm like giving myself this, you know, not not even a pep talk, but like, do you want to do this? If you do this, this is going to happen. You shouldn't do this. And then I start thinking about, well, they sent a town car to pick me up to bring me to set. Now, all of a sudden saying no is a little bit easier, which is, I mean, which is a little bit harder, which is intentional, I'm sure. But it's like, okay, like now backing out of this is going to be a little bit difficult because I'm going to have to call someone to say, hey, um, I'm actually not going to do this. Can you send that car to take me back home? And then when I got there, it's like, hey, this is how you get paid, and I could talk. I would love to discuss at some point the paperwork that you fill out. Um, so, but they hand you this paperwork, and this is how you get paid. Just Feel free to. Feel free to. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, but uh, there's this piece of paper that you would sign and it's like this is how you get paid but the reality is yes it's you know w2 or w4 but um this is how you get paid but in addition to that what you're signing is all rights you're giving away all rights to audio video and any images that are captured in addition to that you're also signing another um you know you're, you're, there's an additional signature and it says that you give all rights to them to sell to third parties unlimited amount of times so that one piece of you know that one piece of footage that you are paid one time for that like I've done over a thousand movies and 
there's wow we're going to come back to that yeah but i've done over a thousand movies and there was one movie that i did it was a parody of star wars and it made like over a hundred million dollars and you know i was i was you know i played the lead in that and that was a a two-week production or whatever but i say all that to say there are no royalties in porn and you're paid one time for that day you get paid a day rate but you sign away all rights to these images. To this day, I have 200 fake profiles on across all social media. There's pictures on Tinder that are using photographs to create fake profiles of me. These images and these this you know like audio and memes and all this stuff, it's everywhere. Like there's a meme on social media that's been shared over a hundred million times that I'm a part of. Never have I got paid one cent for that, but in addition to that, I have no control over those images because they're sold to not just a thousand, um, probably 200 companies that I work for those thousand scenes, but those companies sold separately audio pictures to different entities. So there's probably 10,000 pieces of data out there that are owned by hundreds of people. And wow. as, as recent of six months ago, there's new content that are being like, you know, it's a like compilation of this or remastered this or re-releasing this. And Alan, I've been out of the industry since 2012. Mm. Wow. So, so that's the, the piece of paper that's just to get a check. Mm. Bold lie. Wow. Absolute bold wow. lie. So. I sign that paper and I'm having this conversation with myself and long story short, I pop the pill and walk over to these lights and, you know, it, it was a, you know, a director quarterbacking you the entire time. Like you stop every few minutes and it's like, okay, do this, do that. And there's a, there's a boom and then there's a sea light, you know, and there's, there's people all in your personal space and you are so disconnected from what is going on. It's like, you're just two people trying to do a task that has nothing to do with anything that someone associate with sex. And then there's editing. So like you, you shoot for an hour and you end up with this 20 minute product that looks like two people who are engaging in a sexual activity. But the reality is there's two people who are willing to essentially prostitute themselves and be okay with it being filmed. And you're manipulated by, you know, in, in a sense where we're, I'm telling you to do this, I'm telling you to do that, move this way, move that way, you know, do this, move this way. And that's, and that's how it happens. So it's not two people who are attracted to one another and you're having this great time. It's, and I think like that was like the reason the, the shoots were like that, doing that over a thousand times, like that level of exposure was very demeaning in a sense where you know, I, I ended up suffering deep, dark depression later on in my career and to the point where I was suicidal and I disconnected myself from everyone. But the reality is sex became so monotonous that I could do it with anyone, anywhere, didn't matter. And but looking someone in the eye and shaking their hand was the most uncomfortable thing for me in the world because that was real. You know, and, and it's interesting that you say all this because 
I can hear a whole bunch of guys right now and they're they're listening to this and they're thinking, wow, like this seems like a dream life. It seems like a dream life because they've watched pornography and they've seen these beautiful women with these perfect bodies that are just super sexual and they're just like, you know, they're craving it or at least they're acting like they're craving it. And you get to live this glamorous life. Like in their minds, they're thinking, what could be better than that? Like you're having sex every day with the most beautiful women in the world. Like what's the big deal? Why, why is that? Why is that emotionally draining or whatnot? Yeah, I mean, think about the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, let's say, would you go, would you love to go on a date with her? Sure. What if on that date she made it apparent that she didn't want to be there? She ate the meal. You guys shared a conversation, but it was apparent that she never wanted to be there and had no interest in you. She was just there because she was being paid to be there, and you were both eating the meal. And that's what it was like. And, and, you know, just the, the weight of, you know, a guy in that industry. So a director takes on all the cost. So the director is paying for the studio or, you know, if they're renting a home to shoot in your paying the director is paying for the permits to film. The director is paying for the crew, the catering, uh, the equipment, the editing, um, all of the talent on set. And the only person that doesn't get paid at the end of the day, if the job is not if the job is not done, is the guy, because if the guy can't do the job, there's no footage. If there's no footage. There's nothing to sell. So just imagine the weight of a twenty thousand dollar production being on you. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, so how? I mean, how, I mean, hey, you know, like I said, guys, we're going to be graphic and we're going to be keep it real, but like. How how is it possible to to maintain your arousal for um you know how long are how long would you be shooting potentially sometimes and you know tell tell me a little bit about like what are some of the things that men would have to do in order to stay aroused for an ungodly extended <laughs> unnatural period of time? Yeah, I mean everyone takes either Levitra, Viagra, Cialis, something like that. But then longer shoots, and then a lot of people, because it's one of those things, like once you start taking it, you, you become dependent on it. And, and it's something that I ended up doing um, is this thing called Caverjack. So Caverjack is a chemical that you inject to yourself, and it lasts for four hours. It's for paralysis patients to be intimate with their significant other. So it releases a chemical, it traps blood, and, it, and, it's, and it's happening no matter what, whether you're reading the newspaper or you're shooting a scene. And if you use too much of it, you have to go and get lanced and allow the blood to be released. But like that, that is where I ended up. And just imagine like, you know, and that causes you like for your, you know, your, your reproductive system doesn't work the way it should. If it comes, if it, it starts to become dependent on a substance, regardless of what it is, if it becomes dependent on that, it's only going to work with that mm, mm, yeah yeah okay so um tell me a little bit about um tell me a little bit about the effect of this industry on women because we're going to dig into your story and from a man's perspective but i know there's some women watching this as well and so you know speak into a little bit about what 
what are some of the things that women were pressured to do? I know you talked about like having them having like a no list and how they have to stay relevant and um, what type of emotional um, perspective or effect, if you will, does does it have on women? The reality is no one does this for a, the longevity of a career. It's It's one thing to make one mistake one time. Um, but there's no one that stays in this industry for an extended period of time and doesn't endure tremendous mental and emotional trauma. Because at the end of the day, you just have to be real with yourself. Like you don't go to bed and lay your head on the pillow and feel proud of what you're doing. So you either suppress that and that eventually is going to, um, you know, you know, bear bear his ugly head but um most people they suppress it with substance so just to kind of touch on what you're talking about so a girl gets in the industry she gets an agent that agent says what is on your no list these are people that they will not work with and things they will not do and as they go in their career if they have a good career um, and then eventually, because there's so much content out, if you are someone who is popular, after you see your, your favorite person do the same thing over and over again, it's going to lose its luster. So it's like, okay, um, this agent is going to say, okay, you're, the phone stops ringing as much as it used to. Um, you're not making as much money as you used to. You're not you know, being requested to shoot as much as you used to. I know that you have these things on your no list. I've actually, ironically, I, I've actually spoke with these companies and they're willing to pay fifty, a hundred thousand dollars if you would just do this thing this one time. This thing that you said you didn't want to do. And it's like, and if you do that, you'll be relevant again. And so more often than not, they say yes. And they'll do that thing. And then once you do it, well, you already did it one time. Why not do it again? And all of a sudden, that thing that you said you wouldn't do becomes something that you do on a regular basis. And then once all those things are used up, there's there's no there's nothing left to expose. So, uh, okay, well, um, if you want to continue making money, I actually run this escorting business, which is high dollar prostitution, where you spend a weekend with someone for tens of thousands of dollars. And, um, you know, they say you're hanging out with them, but you can, you can, you, you, you know what's going to happen. So, um, so they do that, but those requests are only coming in if their name is relevant. So if, if that ship starts to, you know, sink a little bit, the only thing left is the strip club. So the thing, there's a thing that happens in the strip club. It's called feature dancing, and they it, ultimately it's someone who is popular in some capacity. They are the feature star that night, and they pay them a fee to be there. And you know that makes them a little bit of money. But all of a sudden, you know, after a short period of time, again, they're only a feature star if they are a star. So they have to be relevant. So all of a sudden, if they're no longer relevant. There's no one calling for movies. There's no one calling for escorting. There's no one calling for the strip club. And they've been hearing for, you know, three, four, five, six years. Well, this is what you have to do. You've already done this 
So you, it's not like you can go get a job somewhere else. Like these are directors and agents telling people, including myself, there's like, what are you going to do? You're like, there's no way that you could ever go back into mainstream acting or modeling. Like no one's going to hire you because you're attached to all this stuff. Um, no, no one's going to want to marry you. There's no uh. way, like you're not going to have a future. So you have to do this. It's just, you know, you make a lot of money. This is your life. Just be okay with it. And after you tell someone that over and over again, regardless of if it's a lie, if you believe that lie to be true, you're going to live if that lie is true. And these women are who are now aged out of the industry at only 30 years old, sometimes younger. Um, they're looking at their life. They're like, the phone's not ringing. This is the only thing that I can do with my life. This is my worth. So 35 at this point, people who were in the industry with me at the same time, who were in their early 30s or younger, have taken their life due to suicide or overdose because they, they looked at their future and they didn't see one. And they made the decision to take their life. So that is what the person on the other side of that screen is feeling. And the reality is some of those names – are huge stars. And do you think those videos go away? No. So there is a likelihood that you are watching, if you're someone who watches this type of content, there is a very high probability that you're watching someone that took their life because of what they were doing. Mm. Mm. Wow. Um yeah, and and I think I remember you saying on another interview that that a lot of them are women. You know. Yeah. So there's 35 people. Um, 35 of them are women. Um, and there's two people who are actually really close friends of mine who were men. Um, they ended up just putting their life in jeopardy. So my um, one of my friends, he was inebriated to the point where he fell off a balcony in Mexico, and the the other guy, it was just a tragic accident. He was uh, he was base jumping, but and you just, um, yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, I want to transition a little bit cause I want to talk about, um, uh, something that I don't know how comfortable you are talking about this, but just, you know, the idea of gay porn, right. And, um, you know, are men able to have a no list, right? Are you able to go into the industry and say, Hey, look, you know, I'll, I'll have heterosexual sex, but not, no, no gay porn. Um, and if so, you know, was that something that you, um, had on your list? And then did you ever dabble into, you know, gay porn? And if so, how did you get your mental, how did you even mentally get yourself in a place where, you're naturally attracted to women and now you're having to act out something that is completely unnatural for you. Or a better question maybe might be, you know, did you ever have any sort of same sex attractions that led you to feel like it was somewhat natural for you in the industry? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the industries are completely separate, which is ironic because so for guys, the industry is completely separate. For girls, it's just part of the heterosexual industry, which I'm not really sure how or why that makes sense. But you know, gay porn specifically to guys, because gay like gay uh, porn in, in contrast to women, it falls in the heterose heterosexual side of things, which 
I don't, I don't even, I can't even wrap my head around why that, that is. But anyway, um, so I was in the industry for about six years and towards the end of my time in the industry, I was at the point where I was like every day I would come home and okay, today's the day. How am I going to do it? Like I was ready to take my life. Cause I, so I you're just, working every day. Yeah. I just mean, so to, people to are clear. Do, yeah. To do a thousand, to do a thousand films in, you know, a little over five years and especially taking into consideration the industry is pretty much shut down December and, and January because there's a there's a gigantic award show in January and then everyone is just trying to get every like films done on in post for that. So there, there's some shooting going on in December, but pretty minimal. So pretty much the industry is from February to um, November. So in a 10 month period, doing a thousand scenes, it's pretty much every day. So I was doing you know t- 20 minimum a month and. At that point, I was, I was, I was ashamed. I was ashamed. I was depressed. I had stopped talking to my family. Um, I, I saw myself as so useless and dirty that um, how could I be a son? How could I be a big brother? Um, how could I contribute to my family in any way? And I just isolated myself from everyone and everything that was authentic in my life. And you know, being a good looking guy in the industry, um, gay companies would approach you all the time. It's like, you know, name your number and we'll make it happen. Just like, just tell, tell me how much money you need. And the answer is yes. And for me, it was like, there's nothing else I can do other than to sell myself for sex. That's who I am. I define myself by my behavior. And also, um, something you touched on, it's like, you know, this attraction thing, very, very little was there attraction between two people. It's like two people that didn't – like more often than not, two people that didn't want to be there doing this thing that they believed this was the only thing they could do to make a living. And so you know that on on the, the female end, like sometimes they were – they were either inebriated to some, some capacity or they had to mask the pain afterwards, uh, mo- emotional pain afterwards. Um so two like two very disconnected people. So like I was saying, so sex became so monotonous that um, there there was no attraction. You know, like the guys were using um, you know erectile dysfunction medication, and the girls are using lubrication. So this can happen. Like there there's no um, th- this is amazing, and these two people are coming together, and it looks awesome. It's like either uh, you do what you're being paid to do, or you're not going to get hired to do it. So does it look like um, something that uh, you would want to be part of, maybe, but you need to know that those two people are doing their job, and they're and they're and they're doing you know taking whatever means they need to take to be able to do that job because they believe that if that job doesn't get done, they're not going to get hired. Like as a guy, um, if you like failed a scene, more often than not, that director is not going to hire you again because. You just cost him twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, time, studio, space. So yeah. more often than so, almost always a director is going to have ten to twelve guys because, especially in the heterosexual side of things, it doesn't matter the guy like who it is. You're reliable. You're you know a decent looking guy. Great, you can get the job done. Awesome, I'm going to hire you every time because I need to know that you're reliable, and that's really the only thing that I care about. It's like okay, you're willing to take the shot or do whatever, so it, the you know the job gets done. Great, 
So you're going to get hired every time. So the guys, you know, you, you're around the same guys over and over again. But I paint that picture to say at my life, it was like either die or I don't know. And then for some reason in my life, I, I get a phone call. It's like, hey, um, name your number and you can do three scenes a month if you're willing to do gay porn. Uh, and it was like for me, it's like I didn't care. Like it, it wasn't like I was being intimate with a person. I was doing an action. I didn't care who it was with. So for me, it was like, okay, maybe that would help subside the pain, and I would continue to make high six figures. It was like, whatever. Because that money and the fame was a Band-Aid for the pain to a, to a certain degree. So I said yes to that, and I, I thought that it would be better. But actually, it was an additional thing that amplified my depression and amplified that pain so like how do people do that it's um i mean i'll be pretty graphic um just to let you know um but so there's two guys who are on set like specifically um the gay side of things there's two guys who are on set more directors than not will not only require you but have someone on set to do that shot that i was talking about the cabbage and then so the shot so it's like you you can't feel it so you can't finish so to finish you have two guys sitting there watching heterosexual porn with a director just sitting there waiting and you're in a room masturbating for 30 45 minutes an hour until you can finish and you're just sitting there like a fool with a a room full of people just waiting on you to finish and then when you get close you tell the director and they grab the camera and they capture it and then it, the, the end product looks like you have this thing where it was two people that were attracted to one another and they did this action and the reality is you have two people that i think i met two people who identified as homosexual in that entire industry two people who were taking the like taking the means of taking a shot that could potentially cause you to never be able to have an erection again and really sit, well yeah i mean because if you become dependent on that i mean right right i mean that they could take for me it took like after i stopped doing films like it took several months for it for for my body to function normally but i mean there's cases where you know, you take too much and you have to go to the hospital and get, you know, you literally have to get lanced almost like, you know, my finger, like a staph infection, right? So if you're, if you have a staph infection, you have all this pressure in your finger. If you don't get it lanced and let the blood out, your finger's probably going to fall off and it's not going to yeah. function the way it should. So yeah. um, that's the case. So what you're saying is that, yeah. So you're saying that you got two, just to summarize, you're saying you got two people, two guys that are in there 99 times out of a hundred 